0: So we are now in chapter 5 of 1 Peter. So 1 Peter chapter 5, and we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 4 this morning. The paper that is being handed out, you can just put that away till the very end. That's a music we're going to look at at the very end of the message. I want you to think back at the time of the Lord's arrest and crucifixion. And there is a story that uh, we all know very well. It's the story of Peter who promised the Lord that if all others failed, he would not, that he would uh, be triumphant to the end. And you know what the Lord said to him, before the cock crows, you will deny me three times. And you remember how the event unfolded. When the rooster crowed, Peter ran and hid. Peter ultimately returned to his um, fishing boats and his nets, and he I'm assuming he decided that he would become a fisherman again, that the time with Jesus was over, that that would be the rest of his life, just plying the Sea of Galilee and fishing for fish the rest of his life. He would not be Um, But when when we look at um, what happened next, the Lord died on the cross, he was buried, and he rose again the third day, and that changed everything. Peter was fishing, and the Lord met him by the seashore. And the Lord had more significant plans for Peter than Peter had for himself. He would not be a fisherman, he would be a fisher of men. And that's what he became the rest of his life. The man who was afraid of a servant girl's question would soon preach the gospel to thousands and see them saved. And he was bold as a lion when he did so. Jesus, when he met Peter on the seashore that day, he asked him three times. Just as Peter denied him three times, Jesus asked Peter three times, Peter, do you love me? Peter said, Lord, I love you. And he said, feed my lambs. He asked again, and Jesus said, tend my sheep. He asked again, and Jesus said, feed my sheep. Peter is one of the apostles of the church. And uh, he is not just an apostle. We learn in this passage here that he also was an elder caring for God's sheep. So, we come to the subject of elders in chapter 5 of 1 Peter. And I want just to give kind of a background again, I think most of you know this already, but the Bible teaches that there are elders, deacons, and saints in the local assembly of believers. That's it. That's it. There are elders, Deacons and saints. In uh, Philippians, Paul writes to the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, so the saints, with the bishops, that's another term for elders, and deacons. That's it. You know, it would be an amazing oversight on the part of um, Paul to write to an assembly and exclude the pastor, right? But this is it. Saints, bishops, and deacons. And that is actually the proper New Testament pattern. Often people will ask you, and I'm sure you've heard this question before, oh, you go to Calvary Bible Chapel? Who's your pastor? You ever heard that question? How do you answer it? Well, um, well," and you kick your feet around a little bit, because people are so used to the pastoral system, and they're so used to this pyramid of one guy on the top, maybe a couple of of underlings under him, and then all the rest of the people. But that's not the biblical view of how a church should function. Who is your pastor? And sometimes you find it hard to explain to them that we don't have one who is the pastor, we have a group of elders. So as you look back at the New Testament and the early church and how things were established in the early church, After Paul or others preached the gospel in a a particular town or vicinity, people got saved. And as they began meeting together as a local body of believers, they grew spiritually and in numbers. And the time came at some point for leadership to be recognized in that local body of believers. And in the early days, Paul and Barnabas established elders, not pastors. They established elders to actually care for the flock that God had entrusted to them. As churches uh, increased and multiplied, not only did the apostles do that, but they sent apostolic helpers, we'll call them, like Timothy and Titus, to go and to go back to areas who had, uh, that were, that, uh, where churches had been planted and to establish elders in every location. And so Paul sent Timothy and Titus as representatives of the apostles to go back and appoint a plurality of qualified elders and deacons. So for example, Paul wrote to Titus in Titus 1.5, and he said, for this reason I left you in Crete that you should set in order the things that are lacking and appoint elders in every city as I commanded you. And so he's saying the churches in those cities don't have elders. They have believers who have been meeting for a period of time. It's a new church. It's a new church plant. But what they need now is what is missing, and that is elders to um, be appointed in every church. Once the New Testament uh, scriptures were written, The qualifications of elders and deacons are already are available for any church to look at. They're right here. And it's very, very specific and detailed. It's found in 1 Timothy chapter um, uh, 3, verses 1 through 7, and in Titus 1, 6 through 9. And the qualifications are very specific and very orderly. And so this morning we're actually in a sort of subtle way, we're going to uh, explain what those qualifications are, and you'll see what I mean in a minute. So God established this specific pattern for a reason. Why? Because there is only one head of the church, and who is that? That is Jesus Christ, okay? Jesus Christ is the head of a church, is the head of the church, not a man, not a senior pastor, and not the pope. There is only one who is the head of the church, and that is Jesus Christ. Paul writes in Colossians 1, 8, 18, pardon me, and he, that is Jesus, is the head of the body, the church, that in all things he might have the preeminence. Okay? First place is Jesus Christ in every church, or so, so it should be. Jesus Christ may have the preeminence. In Ephesians 5.23, we read, Christ is the head of the church. Okay, There is no other head. There's no second head. A body does not have two heads. A body has one head, and that is Jesus Christ. In a body, as we say, there cannot be two heads. The Catholic Church, for example, teaches that Christ is the invisible head. You can't see him. He's the head, but you just can't see him. But on earth, there's a visible head, and that's the Pope. No, it's not. There is absolutely no biblical justification for that viewpoint or that statement. Nothing in Scripture to support that teaching. There is one head, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, it may surprise you because it is so commonly practiced in churches that there is nothing in the Bible to teach the pastoral system. It's not there. And even honest pastors will tell you that. I remember years ago when we ran d Press, and we uh, had a number of books, one of which was called Biblical Eldership. And pastors all across the U.S. And, and the world were buying this book, and they would call up and say, okay, we want dozens more. I said, why are you buying this? They said, because we know full well that what we're doing is wrong, and we need to establish a biblical eldership in the churches where we are serving. The Bible does not teach the pastoral system where one man is the senior pastor of a church. Men made that up. That's not in the scripture. Men made it up, and it has created no end of problems in the church through the centuries. Even in the early church, there was a man whose name was Diotrephes, and he, like so many pastors of churches today, had a spiritual flaw. John uh, wrote to the church there, and he says, I I wrote to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to have the preeminence among them, does not receive, receive us. Now, did you notice that same word in that passage? Diotrephes, who loves to have the preeminence, that means to be first, to have first place, to have the recognition in the church. Diotrephes wanted to be number one. He wanted to be the head honcho, the senior pastor. He wanted to be the one that, uh, the pope of that church, shall we say, the one in charge, the preeminent one. But that place is reserved for Jesus Christ, that in all things he may have the preeminence. The pastoral system of church government is fatally flawed as it usurps the rightful place of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is the head of the church, and there's no one else who can fill that spot. He is also called the chief shepherd. And there's only one chief shepherd who exists, the Lord Jesus Christ. The chief shepherd is the one who shed his blood for the church. He bought us with his own blood, There is no one else who has done that. The chief shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ, laid down his life for the sheep. Now, under the chief shepherd are, as I mentioned earlier, qualified under-shepherds, and the Bible uses these terms interchangeably. Sometimes they're called elders, bishops, presbyteros, overseers, and shepherds. Those words are used and they refer to the same group of people. And so I go back to the question I asked you earlier. Who is the pastor of Calvary Bible Chapel? Who is your pastor? Actually, it's the wrong question. (laughs) The right question is, who are the elders of Calvary Bible Chapel? So who are the elders here at Calvary Bible Chapel? Well, if you don't know, and I know you all know, but first of all, there's Howard Ormsby. And I want to introduce you to Howard Ormsby in a way that maybe you don't know him. Howard was one of the founding members of Calvary Bible Chapel in 1982. When uh, a number of young men, Howard was young at one point, <laughs> 40 years ago almost, Um, in fact, it was a little bit earlier than that, Uh, a number of young men began to pray and asked the Lord about beginning a a church plant, beginning a new work. And uh, there were a number of men, Howard was praying with them, and there were a few of us praying about another work in Castor Valley. But the two groups came together, uh, and we began to pray what God's will would be for the future. And Howard was one of those founding members of Calvary Bible Chapel, Back then, San Lorenzo Bible Chapel. In 1982, uh, a year after the assembly was planted in San Lorenzo, uh, as a church, we went to the source from the apostles, from God through the apostles in the scripture, and we studied the qualifications and the duties of elders and deacons. And so we studied uh, Timothy, we studied Titus, and we taught the saints all about the qualifications and why we wanted to follow the scripture and not follow the pastoral system. And so the saints were new. Many of them were just brand new believers. And as they began to hear these things, we began to look at who among us... Was qualified as an elder. And of the four elders who were recognized, Howard was one of the four elders, and he is the longest standing elder at Calvary Bible Chapel. The the first of the first four, only Howard remains as an elder here at the assembly. And you know, back then, as is true now, Howard desired to do the work of an elder. That's actually one of the qualifications. That an elder must long to do it, want to do the work, and Howard wanted to do the good work of an elder. An elder is an overseer, one who watches over uh, and cares for the believers in the church. And he is one of the shepherds caring for the flock of God entrusted to him. It's a good work that Howard has not avoided and has not given up. Others have given up. And from the earliest days, Howard has never been afraid to roll up his sleeves and do the work of an elder. And that's true to this day. As you examine a person's life over a period of time, and as I said, this has been almost 40 years now, um, we have found him to be blameless. That is a qualification of an elder. No one has accused him of wrongdoing. That doesn't mean Howard is sinless. Kathy will tell you that he's not. (laughs) But he is quick to make things right with God and man if if he does anything wrong. But as you look at Howard's life under the microscope of 40 years, he has an untarnished, sterling character. Other elders have abandoned the sheep. Other elders have followed false teaching and left Calvary and started their own works, which ultimately failed. Howard has remained faithful, steadfast, with deep roots, caring for the sheep the Lord has entrusted to him. Howard is the husband of one wife, a wife who has faithfully worked alongside him and spent countless hours teaching other women, caring for others, showing kindness and compassion while speaking the truth in love. And the faithfulness of their marriage relationship is a testimony of God's grace and is a practical demonstration of how a marriage should work. Okay, They're on display. You've watched. You've seen them. Howard is temperate. He's not an extremist in food or drink or spiritual matters. He's steady, sober-minded, serious, discerning. Over the years, I have watched Howard dealing with um, very sensitive issues in the lives of saints. I've seen him deal with um, a person that was in our midst at one time in an attempted murder. Do you remember that? With a... uh, screwdriver to the chest of her partner. Okay? He's seen stuff like this. He's dealt with stuff like this. He's dealt with family matters. He's dealt with marriage matters. He's dealt with people who are striving to grow in Christ and people who are wandering away from Christ. And I've seen it all. I have seen him deal with and challenge unruly and ungodly people without backing down. But I have also seen him disarm rebellious and angry people with tears streaming down his face in the midst of uh, an emotional storm, and he'll go up to the person, and literally he will throw his arms around them and hug them with tears streaming down his face. Do you know that about Howard? I've seen it with my own eyes. Maybe you've experienced it. He pleads with them to make right choices, and he shows affection to them. He has been a father, a mentor, a disciple maker, a caring, loving shepherd of the flock that God has entrusted to him, and his good behavior is known to you all. So I'm grabbing words from Timothy and Titus, I don't know if you know that, the qualifications of elders, and I'm throwing them together, and I'm saying, here you have an elder a qualified elder who has served you for 40 years. Paul writes that an elder must be hospitable. A few weeks ago in 1 Peter 4.9, we heard, be hospitable to one another without grumbling. And so I, I didn't hear that message. I wasn't here. Um, so I hope I'm not um, saying anything that the preacher said. But do you know who wrote that uh, that verse? It was in Peter. So I assume you would know it's Peter. Peter wrote that, be hospitable to one another without grumbling. Peter wrote that. Why is that so significant that Peter wrote that? I'm going to tell you another story. There was a time when uh, Jesus went to a house in Capernaum, and in that house in Capernaum, people followed him And crowds gathered and they filled the living room and the kitchen and the dining room and whatever other rooms were in this house, they filled it to capacity. There were so many people that they were spilling out into the streets. And there was a a group of friends that had a friend who was paralyzed. He was sick and he could not walk. He could not come to the meeting. And even if he did, he couldn't get in because of the press of the crowd. And so these brilliant men said, hey, we have a plan. And so on the outside of a typical home in those days, you would have a staircase leading up to a flat roof. And so they climbed up the staircase, dragging their friend up with them, and they must have had ropes and some kind of a sheet or something like that. And they they broke the tile roof of this house. Now, we are just going through an insurance claim right now with broken tiles on our roof, And I know the person who had this house in Capernaum did not have insurance because they didn't offer it back then. And even if they had insurance, it wouldn't be covered because this was malicious damage to the house. And they broke open the roof and they lowered the friend right into the presence of Jesus. And Jesus asked the man if he wanted to be healed. And he said to the man, your sins are forgiven you. And the Pharisees took a fit. And they said, who is this man that thinks he can forgive sins? Well, he says to prove who he was, only God can forgive sins. To prove that he was God, he told the man to rise up and, and walk out. And he did. The same man who can say rise up and walk to a man who can't use his feet is certainly the one who can forgive sins. He's God. And so this whole event was a marvelous demonstration not only of Jesus' healing, of his compassion, but evidence that he's God. Wonderful, wonderful story. So this house in Capernaum. Oh, do you know who owned the house? It was Peter. It was Peter's house. Peter's house in Capernaum. The same guy who said... Be hospitable to one another without grumbling, okay? His roof was destroyed. He had to clean up the mess. He had to fix his roof. He had to clean up after all those people came into his home. But you know what? It was worth it because Jesus healed a man, Jesus saved a man, and Jesus demonstrated that he was God. It's worth it. Showing hospitality for that, isn't it? Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. So why do I tell the story? I tell it to remind you that there would be no church sitting here today. You would not be in this building today. You would not be here had it not been for Howard and Kathy opening their home up to the early church at at San Lorenzo Bible Chapel. They said, okay, well, we live in San Lorenzo. We have a home why don't we open up our rooms to the saints? And I don't know how many were there, but every single Sunday, we would come to the house, and we would literally pick up their furniture, and we would move it out into another room. And I don't know how many pieces of furniture we destroyed, Kathy and Howard, but I don't remember a single time you ever grumbled about it. We left crumbs. You know, I mean, we still had a coffee thing like this, you know, uh, every every Sunday morning, and donuts, and, and muffins, and And uh, brownies and crumbs, you know, ground into the carpet and floor. And who had to clean that up without grumbling, okay? And why did they do it? For the same reason Peter didn't grumble about the roof being trashed in his house. We trashed their house, basically, you know. And they go, oh, no, everything was fine. You know, they're so gracious. But we did But the point is that they opened their home each week without grumbling. We came in and trashed their home without thinking. And, you know, people say, there's a phrase, a woman's home is her castle. Have you heard that before? Never heard that? Look it up on Google. It's there. (laughs) And basically, it, it means it's like her place of refuge. You know, in this busy world, in this crazy world, the only place a woman can go where she finds peace is in her home. Well, that didn't happen on Sunday mornings. You know, we trashed okay well, we trashed it that much, but we, we basically set up chairs, put out hymn books, pulled the pulpit from the garage, created all kinds of mess, crumbs and spilled coffee, and they never once complained. Why? Because they knew that God was birthing this church in their home, and I will forever be grateful to you. We would not have seen missionaries sent out We would not have seen souls saved. We would not have seen saints growing and a new church planted had it not been for this couple's open, generous, gracious hospitality to us, and we praise God for all you have done and all you continue to do in our midst, all you mean to us. Who are the elders? Well, I want to introduce you to Noah Shapiro. Now, Noed is an interesting character. I don't know if you've noticed or not, but it, it's, it's, it's almost comical, not comical, but it's, it's interesting to me, I guess is the best way of saying it, that whenever he tells a story about himself from the pulpit, it's always a bad story. It's, it's always a story about what a wretch he was and... What a terrible person he was before he knew the Lord. He's always the bad guy in his stories. And he's often told the story of himself being the sinful wretch at Berkeley as as he grew up um, studying in Berkeley. Noad, as you know, was an atheist. He grew up in a home of atheists, a home that did not fear God. And as he has told this story, he was living for temporary pleasures of the moment. And I think he tells this story over and over again for one reason, is because he is absolutely amazed at the grace of God in his life. Why would God save me? That's essentially what I get from those stories every time I hear them. Amazing grace that God saved such a sinner as me. God plucked him out of a family that does not know God. That's an amazing testimony in itself of God's grace. But as you know, Noah is also a Jewish person. And as a Jewish person, you have to think of what God has done to the nation of Israel right now. God has judicially, I have to say it the right way, judicially set the nation of Israel aside while the gospel goes out primarily to the Gentiles. And so the opportunity is still there for Jewish people to come to know the Lord, but there's a blindness that has hardened most of the Jews' hearts. And so for a Jew to come to know the Lord today is even harder. And so it's even greater grace that God has saved Noah out of a Jewish background, out of an atheist family, and of all places, at Berkeley, you know? (laughs) Listen to his sermons, and you will hear him repeat the wonders of God's grace and mercy and forgiveness. Why? Because he wants you to know and enjoy the same benefits that God has bestowed upon him. Noad is a trophy of God's grace, and you can be a trophy of God's grace as well, if you know the Lord, and you are if you know the Lord. Noad is also a qualified elder. He is apt to teach. I don't know if you know what goes on behind the scenes, but a a schedule is, is put out in advance of what we're going to be preaching on. Not the words we're going to use, but just the dates and the passage of scripture that we're going to preach on. And that is available to the brothers to choose whatever passage they want. And so most brothers will choose the passages that you know are their favorites or whatever. And Noed fills in the rest. You know, he's he's apt to teach. He says, Look, I'll teach whatever is left. I'll teach as the Lord. Uh, allows me to. but he is apt to teach regularly teaches from this pulpit and in his home. Noed and Sharon, of course, are also extremely hospitable. Oftentimes they have people for lunch. Oftentimes they have had people for dinner and have taught them during the meal, um, or they've had um, Bible studies in the Gospel of John and privately with couples seeking to be married and he has spent countless hours studying and praying and preparing messages and filling in every gap in our teaching schedule, the sacrifices that he has made for the saints are both tangible and heartfelt. Elders, the Bible says, are not given to wine, leading to all kinds of sorrow, quarrels, and abuses. And Noad is filled with the Holy Spirit rather than Uh, spirits, if you get my gist, alcoholic spirits. He is not violent, but is gentle. And that is actually something that I really appreciate about Noad, his gentleness. I've watched Noad and overheard some of his conversation with believers over the years. And so I just want to say something to you. If Noad ever says something like this to you, well, you've said something to him, and he'll say, well, perhaps you ought to think about your choices. That's a very gentle way of saying it. And he says things like that. Perhaps you ought to think about your choices. You better sit up and take notice. That's really what he's saying. But he says it in such a gentle way. Think about what you're saying. Think about what you're doing. Think about those plans. Very gentle. He's really telling you, you're heading down the wrong path and you need to make a course correction. Okay, I'm more blunt. I would probably say it that way. <laughs> but Noad, so if you ask him, uh, well, do you think this is appropriate? Or, or, or I'm sorry, if you ask him something and he says, he asks you, do you think that's appropriate? Do you think that's wise? He's essentially telling you, no, it's not appropriate and it's not wise. If you ever go to Noad for counsel and you tell him what you are going to do, he will be gentle, and he won't give you counsel. Do you know why? Because he sees that your mind is made up. He's not going to counsel somebody that's not interested in counsel. If you ask for counsel, he will give it, which will be wise, well-articulated, But Noed is not a contentious, quarrelsome person who wants to argue with you. If you are open to counsel, seek it. Ask for it. He will give it. But if you come with your mind made up, he will let you do as you please. But that may not be in your best interest. Why would he do that? Well, it's kind of something like the way the Lord treats us. Do you know that? Do you remember back in... uh, Before Israel entered the promised land, after they left Egypt, they were wandering in the wilderness. And they wandered for 40 years. And they rebelled against God, basically, for 40 years. And in Psalm 106, 13 through 15, we read this. They soon forgot his works. They did not wait for his counsel, but lusted exceedingly in the wilderness and tested God in the desert and how did God respond to this? And he gave them their request, but sent leanness to their soul. So be careful when you seek counsel from any of the elders. But particularly if you seek counsel from Noad, and you say, This is what I plan to do. Your mind's made up. And God may give you your request, but send leanness to your soul. Be careful. Elders must not be greedy for money. How many of you greeted Noed this morning? Did anybody say hello to him? Okay, a few of you did. Matt, how, how did you greet Noed this morning? Good morning, brother. Okay, that's good. Did anybody actually use his name? No? I, I, I said hello, Noed. I'm sure I said it that way. Hi, Noed. That's usually what I say. <laughs> But none of you greeted him by his title, did you? Do you know that Noéd is super intelligent? He is like off the chart, okay? He has a double bachelor's of science and chemistry and chemical engineering. Is that correct? Do you know that Noéd is a doctor? How many of you knew that? Okay, a few of you did. All right. He has a PhD in material science and engineering. Did you greet him this morning by saying, hello, Dr. Shapiro? (laughs) Not a single person did that. Now, so I'm going to explain something to you. Most of you know what a computer is, right? Most of you, I think maybe all of you, know how to turn on a computer, right? Okay, that's a good start. The brain inside the computer is a CPU, a central processing unit. It's the thing that makes the computer function. Some of us know, just because we live near Silicon Valley, most of us know, or some of us know, that computers have chips in them, okay? Not Lay's potato chips, but it's a a different kind of a chip, right? Now, at this point, I'm completely lost in in what I'm I'm gonna tell you. I'm pretty lost at this point already. But if my memory serves me right, NOED's doctoral degree has to do with being a doctor of wafer technology in computer chips. Is that correct? Okay. Different. What kind of chips? Okay, light-emitting diets, which, which leads you to the job that you're in, sort of. Okay. All right, the point is I got lost at most of you know how to turn on a computer. <laughs> okay, that's where my, my education ended. The point is that Noed is very smart. So is Sharon. Noed and Sharon both attended UC Berkeley, currently ranked number 20 among national universities. Sharon is a medical doctor. Is that correct? How many of you are you a medical doctor? I mean, would you call it a medical doctor? Yeah, but isn't that a medical doctor, or am I missing the point there, too? It's, it, it, we're splitting hairs here, okay? How many of you, how many of you uh, when you came in today, greeted Sharon? Good morning, Dr. Shapiro. <laughs> and when you see them together, Dr. Shapiro. <laughs> okay, the whole point is smart as a whip, both of them, Okay. You don't greet them that way. Why? Because, well, they're just no Ed and Sharon to us. Brother, sister. And why is that? Because they have chosen to take the low road. That's why. When I grew up in an assembly in Vancouver, we had doctors, and you never called them by their first name. You always called them Dr. Stewart, Dr. Whatever. Okay? That was the way they wanted to be greeted. I earned my degree, you better, you know. I'm going to rub it in your nose the rest of your life. But that's not the way they've been. They've been very humble and taken a low road for the sake of the Lord. They could have made life choices that would have advanced their careers, but it would have been detrimental to this assembly. Do you know that? Instead, they consciously chose to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and to trust God for all their needs. By faith, they chose to live simply and sacrificially. The Bible says, but without faith, it is impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. You know, there's a point in a person's life where they have to make choices when it comes to financial things. And they made a choice in their life, and they said, you know what? it is better for us not to pursue our careers the way we could to earn as much as we can to have the most at the end of the game and then have everything at the end of the day go back into the box, okay? Instead, they said, no, we are here. God saved us for a purpose, and that purpose is to serve him. And even if we take a huge financial hit, it's worth it for the Lord's sake. It's worth it for the people of God. It's worth it for the church here at Calvary Bible Chapel. That's what they did. Many of you may not know that. They acted like Moses, where it says, "'Choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he looked to the reward.'" They said, thank you very much, as much as you might offer me because I'm such a smart kid and I could get a much better salary for my my education, I'm willing to take a hit because I'd rather the Lord give me the reward rather than some company on earth. And that's what they've done. They chose to live and work close to the assembly to serve us. So in other words, they qualify being not greedy for money. Had they been, Noad wouldn't be an elder today. He would be out pursuing his career. He'd be out pursuing um, money. And Sharon also wanted to serve the Lord. She also wanted to follow the Lord. She wanted to say, you know what? What's more important, my family, the children God gives me, or my career? And she chose to lay her career at the feet of Jesus and to raise children for him as a stay-at-home mom. And we are so blessed because of what they did. And so is their family, of course. They might be wildly successful in the world, but paupers, as far as God is concerned, but their treasure is in heaven where neither rust nor moth corrupt and thieves cannot break through and steal. And they have demonstrated what Paul said, Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended But one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, forgetting Berkeley, forgetting all of that stuff, okay? And reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And no one has has chosen to take care of the church of God rather than to take care of his, you know, future here. Brothers and sisters, God has blessed us with... Treasures in earthen vessels. God displays His power, and the glory is His, not ours. And I hope each of you treasures what God has given uh, to us. So that brings us to our passage this morning. We're almost out of time. 1 Peter 5, 1 through 4. The elders who are among you, I exhort. I, who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed, Shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly, nor as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. Peter exhorts the elders of the churches, and I will exhort our elders today. But the the exhortation is not one of criticism. Peter encourages the elders to do what they long to do. If I said to a mother, okay, listen, I want you to love your children and take care of them. It's the very thing she wants to do. When you say to an elder who is a qualified elder who wants to do the, the, the work of God, get out there and shepherd the flock. You know what they're going to say? It's the very thing I want to do. I want to serve the Lord that way. And so that's what Peter is really saying here. Shepherd the flock of God which is among you. Shepherding means to lead, to guide, to teach, and protect. And a shepherd does not abandon the sheep like a hireling who does not care for the sheep. It says, serve as overseers, which means this. The, The elders are always constantly watching over the flock, always looking to see what's going on in the lives of believers. We read in Psalm 23 that the Lord, who is our shepherd, makes us lie down in green pastures and leads us beside the still waters. It's a picture of tranquility and peace. He doesn't allow things to disturb the hearts of his sheep. And the elders are to follow that same example, trying to keep peace among the saints, but to keep, uh, to keep people out who shouldn't be uh, upsetting the saints as well. And so just as the shepherd would go up to the tablelands and uh, free them from noxious weeds and watch over the sheep, protecting them from bears and mountain lions or wild beasts, the elders do much the same. We are to be vigilant at all times to watch over the sheep to protect them from false teachers, false doctrines, and evil people. Elders are to serve willingly, not under compulsion, It's an essential qualification, the desire to do the work. If you don't desire it, you don't belong as an elder. An elder is a volunteer. He voluntarily serves others, not because he has to, but because he wants to. And God raises up elders and gives them the desire and the ability to serve. It says, serve without covetousness. So an elder should not serve for dishonest gain, but eagerly. A local assembly may partially or fully support an elder, but money should never motivate an elder to serve. Money corrupts good men. Serve as examples, not lording it over those entrusted to you, Peter talks about. It's really a call to be an example just live your life before the saints as an example. They should be able to look at your life and say, you know what? I want to follow you. I want to follow you as you follow Christ. Paul could say, but you have carefully followed my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, love, perseverance, persecutions, afflictions, What persecutions I endured, and out of all of them the Lord deliver me. Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution, but evil men and impostors will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them. Follow us as we follow Christ. And then an elder is to serve expecting a crown. God actually promises elders who serve well a crown. It says the chief shepherd will soon appear and he's going to call us away to him. And at that time, the Lord will require of us as elders to give an account of our service here and and to give an account of your life. Do you know that? In Hebrews 13, 17, it says, obey those who rule over you and be submissive for they watch out for your souls as those who must give account. Let them do so with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. Suppose the elders serve the Lord and serve the saints, protecting, providing, teaching, admonishing, encouraging, and providing a godly example to follow. In that case, the Lord has promised them, the elders, an imperishable crown. The crown for elders is called the crown of glory that does not fade away. There are many crowns offered to saints in the Scripture. It would be a nice study to have one day, just going through them and seeing what they're all about. But we can uh, seek crowns. There's nothing wrong with that. And we can uh, receive crowns for uh, our service for the Lord. Howard and uh, Noad, I don't know. If we will be raptured simultaneously, I sure hope we are, or if the Lord will take us individually. But I know where to find you if you go before I go. I'll look for you at Jesus' feet. And either together or separately, I am sure that we will have the occasion to take that crown off of our head and bow before the Lord Jesus Christ who loved us and gave himself for us and lay our crowns at his feet. Any reward I receive is based purely on what the Lord has done for me. And I know you guys feel the same way. I'll look for you at Jesus' feet. We have a song, um, we don't know it, I don't, well, you might if you've heard the song before, but uh, you can sing along with it if you know it, and uh, we'll just, um, I'll pray and then we'll have the song uh, play. Father, we just pray, giving you thanks for the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the chief shepherd, who loved us and gave himself for the sheep. Lord, we pray that we would be diligent and um and compassionate the way he was to us as we minister to the saints and to the sheep that you've given to us uh, here at Calvary Bible Chapel. Lord, we pray that you would help us to protect, to provide, to teach, to admonish, to encourage the believers here, uh, that they might be, when they come to, to heaven, that they might be told by you, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into my rest. We just pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. No, I'm not letting you off. Oh, it's way too late, Howard. No, no,
1: no. no, no. <laughs> I know there's some people here that are. Go ahead, Luke. Here, play, so go ahead and play no, the song. No, Luke. no, no, no. <laughs> this brother here has been faithfully uh, side by side with me all those 40 years as well. I remember when he was single, mm-hmm. Krista. Can you believe yeah. that? And he was talking about all these rules he was going to have for his wife and. Kathy and I looked at him and said, mm-hmm. he'll change one of these days. You did. I did. <laughs> but Don has also been faithful. I think all the words that he, I mean, I really feel humbled, you know, And all the words he had. I mean, it uh, gets me. Um, everything that Don has shared with you folks this morning is also a reflection of who he is. He's the same. Uh, Don, I want you to look up a verse for me, and I want want you to read from Job, chapter 1, verse 1. And uh, this is a short verse, but uh, it really, to me, encapsulates your life. Why don't you go ahead and read it?
0: There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was blameless and upright. One who feared God and shunned evil.
1: Okay. I read this. I see Don there. There was a man at Calvary Bible Chapel whose name was Don. The man was blameless. He was upright. And one who feared God and Shunned evil. And Don is, to me, Job of Calvary Bible Chapel. Um, Don't have time to tell you, but if you look at his life and, uh, and know all the things that have occurred in all the years that I've known Don in the last 40 years, you would be shocked. But even though that he has gone through these trials, and blessings, you know, they're both there. Yep. God has been good. Yep. Um, I've never seen a, a man stand so firm as Don. Never shaken. Regardless of what wind seems to buffet you in, in your life, he mm. keeps that ship going
0: through the storm. Eyes. Nice. I said, I said, I is there. <laughs> it's got to be.
1: So we, we really appreciate you too, Don. And right. thank you for the kind words that you gave Noah and us. And it's really been a blessing to be elders for you saints. You know, that's who we care about. You know, our desire is to see you grow and, and continue on faithfully in Christ and see you spiritually reproduce. And have the same love that we have of the Lord. Um, And uh, our desire is to see you be received into heaven when the Lord says to you, Well done, good and faithful servant. Amen. Well done, good and faithful servant here on this earth.